to a pastor in his newspaper with Dr. Castro, a podcast helping you read the news with the Bible in your hand. I am Dr. Castro. It's so great to be with you and uh, looking forward to Labor Day weekend coming up. And uh, with Labor Day weekend, it's the start of the college football season. So last night, watched the Vols, my Vols, Tennessee Vols play against Ball State, the Fighting David Letterman's. Um, I don't think that's our actual nickname obviously uh, i guess maybe the oh goodness the red hawks i believe that could be miami ohio uh but anyways we won uh that's all that matters and so they think they should change their name and their mascot should be a person with a big gap in the middle of their teeth um i digress uh so labor day weekend coming up and a lot of football college football to watch um, Arkansas is playing Cincinnati um, and looking forward to that. Uh, and some other games, Utah in Florida are playing this weekend. So is uh, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Um, it's also this weekend. LSU, Florida State this weekend as well. I'm trying to think if there's any other important college football games that are happening this weekend. But that's a lot even right there. So, um, so if you're into college football, you'll have a lot of good downtime this weekend to watch that. Uh, also, time for the family, uh, having Monday off. Looking forward to that. And um, so, yeah, so a uh, lot to look forward to for this weekend. Um, but you're with uh, Meet right now, and either you're listening to this later on today on a Friday or maybe this weekend or maybe next week on your way back to work. Uh, we want to. I want to talk uh, about... Russia. Now, obviously, uh, we could talk about Russia and Ukraine. We've talked about that a few episodes here on the podcast. Um, but before, I want to just kind of tell you a little bit of my history with Russia. I have visited the country on three occasions um, on mission trips in high school and um, uh, primarily spent my time in Moscow and some of the areas surrounding Moscow. I did take a little uh, overnight trip to uh, a village, uh, kind of a several hour train ride away from Moscow. I would not be able to find it on a map. Um, I think it's east. It was eastward, I believe, uh, from the city of Moscow. But I've been to the Kremlin. Um, I've been to some of the beautiful um, Orthodox churches in Moscow. Um, and when I went, it was kind of towards the beginning of Putin's, uh, I think it's probably appropriate to call it rain. Um, and, uh, this was early two thousands. So I, you know, I have a, an appreciation of the people and, uh, and, uh, enjoyed my time going there, would go back if ever get, was ever given an opportunity to go. And because of my, um, connection to Russian high school, I took Russian in college I'm not a very good language learner and I struggle with it. And so this pronunciation, um, I struggled in kind of elementary school with, with speech and had some letters or sounds that I had struggles, uh, making. And, uh, so pronunciation is difficult. I, I, there's actually, just to be honest, there's English words that I, uh, either don't pronounce very well. You've probably caught this on this podcast. I apologize for that. Maybe I'll get better as, as I do this more often, but, uh, I have to really work on my pronunciation, practice words before I speak them. So languages are very difficult for me. And, uh, but I still have appreciation of Russian culture. Uh, I've taken, I took a class in college on the politics of, 
or the kind of the governmental structure of Russia. And so um, I'm familiar with the country probably more than most people in the United States. And so uh, the last six months, the, the war in Ukraine has lasted six months now. And um, it's just interesting to be able to kind of look at different angles of this, this, this event, this war, this unfortunate uh, situation that has happened. And so uh, I know the first episode when we when I first launched this podcast, we talked about Russia and Ukraine, and and now we're kind of coming back to this um, to this event. And uh, interesting enough is that uh, the last premier of the Soviet Union, Gorbachev, Gorbachev, he just passed away this past week, um, and it's it's just an interesting a, a man who actually was trying to move Russia. And in kind of connecting, connecting it with the West and trying to build relationships with the West, which eventually caused the Soviet Union to, to crumble and to fall. And then it moved to being a, a democracy for a short time before Putin uh, eventually kind of took the reins and now has kind of brought it back to more of a Soviet um, one man dictatorship. And, um, and so I want to focus on not just Russia uh, as just a, as a nation or a military or government, but actually it's it's religion. Um, and Russia, if you aren't familiar, is is not Catholic. It's Russian Orthodox, uh, coming out of kind of the history of the Eastern Orthodox Church that was centered in uh, in, uh, in Constantinople. Uh, at one point, was Constantinople was a part of the Roman Empire, uh, the Holy Roman Empire. It was kind of the Eastern. Uh, it was the central hub for the Eastern uh, wing of the Roman Empire. Rome being the Western. Even in the Church, there was a a separation between the church, you had Rome and the Pope and the Bishop of Rome in the center of Catholic, the Catholic faith, the Catholic um, denomination of Christianity. And of course, in, in Constantinople, which is now modern day Istanbul in Turkey, was the center of the Orthodox um, faith or the Orthodox denomination of Christianity of the church. And they would have two different, you know, two different leaders, um, and they, they separated over some theology. Uh, they separated over icons as well. If you don't know much about um, uh, Eastern Orthodox, but they, the, the emphasis on icons and the youth of icons and worship um, is rejected by not only Catholics, but also Protestants as well. That's why when you go to a Protestant church or a Catholic church, we don't utilize icons in worship uh, as if the, we channel grace is channeled through icons or pictures of Jesus or Mary or saints. And this is what uh, is common in Orthodox church. So if you go to a Greek Orthodox church or a Russian Orthodox church or a Serbian Orthodox church, you'll see a lot of icons and pictures on the wall. And these are used of saints of Mary of, of Jesus um, and other, other figures. These are, these are actually uh, there in some ways the the spirit uses the icons to bless the people. And then the people pray to the icons since they believe that that's where um, God will give them blessings or um, that's, that's, who, that's how God will heal their prayers. Um, so, the Orthodox church in Russia is very powerful. Now it wasn't that way. And we're going to kind of get into this a little bit today, but it, it wasn't always that way when during the Soviet union, which if you don't know that, you know, Russia was under the, the, um, 
kind of the hold of the communist party for most of the 20th century. I mean, Lenin came into power. The Bolshevik revolution happened after World War One. So most of the 20th century, Russia was under the, under the authority of the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union believed that the, in, in some ways, loyalty to the party, loyalty to the communist party was more important than actually your faith or your religion, or uh, for those who are Russian, even the Orthodox Church. And so the Communist Party would use the churches for their own use and for their own benefits. And then so the church had a very um, uh, standoff relationship with the government. Well, since the fall of the Soviet Union, now the Orthodox Church is in some ways it had received now is a really important part of the Russian identity, uh, the Russian nation. It's a part of their of their culture now. It's kind of regained that important um, place in, in Russian society. Um, but where we are now is, is an unfortunate place because there is no freedom of religion in Russia. And while being a part of the Orthodox Church in Russia is still very important to the Russian identity... How the church associates with the government or with Putin is very, very, very unfortunate. It, I, that's a very that, that word is is not powerful enough. It, it is a relationship that is unhealthy. It's a relationship that does not um, um, it does not is that a is that a relationship that is 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 standing on the authority of scripture alone and said the church has cuddled up to Putin and his, his oligarchy and the church is not leading. It doesn't, it doesn't lead with, it doesn't have, it doesn't provide any spiritual leadership to the people. And instead it's just a, a, a pawn or a, a tool or an instrument for the sake of the government. And so Currently, right now, the way that Russians and the way that Putin and the government is communicating, even the the church, the Orthodox Church in Russia is communicating this war in Ukraine, is that is a holy war. It's a holy war. And and so the danger of using that, that terminology, that it's a holy war, this is a war that uh, God supports, that God, um, God has got a sentence on this quest to conquer Ukraine. So um, let me back this story up a little bit. Um, and, and I read this recently. It's just it's frightening. It's horrifying to, to really realize what's going on and, and how the Russian, um, how, how the Russian government, how Putin is using the church as a, as a, an instrument to justify his actions. Um, this is obviously before the the invasion, even though the really, if you want to say the invasion technically started in 2014, but um, is now kind of taking on a larger scope now in 2022. But in two, 2020, this is two years ago, the Russians consecrated the cathedral, and I'm not joking, the cathedral of the armed forces. It sits in Patriot, uh, Patriot Park. It's a military theme park. This is about 60 kilometers to the west of Moscow. The church is khaki green, military green. It's topped with golden Orthodox crosses. 
It has the typical Russian Orthodox domes on it. Um, and it has different references to major uh, Russian victories like World War II, especially. And I'm quoting that Nazi tanks were melted down to make the floor of the cathedral. So they melted Nazi uh, tanks. I guess that they had just had lying around. And that's how they, that's how they formed the floor of the cathedral. Angels gaze down on uh, Russian soldiers and mosaic mosaics in the church that uh, commemorate the country's role in the Syrian civil war, the invasion of Georgia in 2008 and the annexation of Crimea in 2014. So there's actually mosaics. I, I wonder if they're probably either pictures on the wall or they're actually stained glass windows depicting Russian soldiers in victory, military victory, including Crimea, which is what I was saying earlier, is actually probably a better way to say when this invasion started. The cathedral unites angels and bombs, or angels and bullets, or angels and guns. There's nothing more horrifying than the use of Christianity to justify invasion or justify uh, war. And it doesn't even really stop there. And again, this is a cathedral. This was uh, they have a they have a Orthodox priest. People come there to quote unquote worship. Uh, another thing that has been used uh, lately to justify this invasion is there's a th- um, there's a, a, a an icon a, a painting um, that uh, it depicts a three different figures uh, their heads inclined and their robes shading from allure to gold. They sit on a table with a chalice in the middle. God is absent, but the, p- the painting is considered divine. Uh, the, the painter, Andre Rublev, uh, painting is called the Holy Trinity. It's Russia's most precious icon. Of all the icons that is used in the Russian Orthodox Church for worship, this is the most precious of them all. It was painted in the 15th century when Russia was overrun by the Mongols. It reaffirmed the country's ties to Christian Europe and pointed towards a Russian renaissance that never actually came to be. And so it speaks of the, of the, the divine connection between the Russian people and God. And this is how people view this icon, this painting. So it's very important to the Russian people. On July 16th of this year of 2022, this is after the war has already started, which had been in the, uh, in the gallery, the state gallery since 1928 was moved on Kremlin orders or Putin orders against the will of the restorers to the Trinity Lavra of St. Sergas, the spiritual center of Russia's Orthodox church. So it was placed in the, the most important place in the Orthodox Church. There it was uh, venerated during the Feast of St. Sergas, a Russian saint who influenced Rublov, the painter. So the patriarch, this is Krill, Patriarch Krill, who's the head of the Russian church and a supporter of the war, said the icon connects us to the time when our Russia, in great danger from foreign and domestic enemies, was concentrating on becoming a great power. So this painting that reminds the Russian people of of how they need to stand up against domestic enemies and and foreign enemies and how God is going to assist them and help them in that pursuit. 
they place this to to show the people and to remind the people that this war is a godly war. It's a holy war. The Patriarch Krill is, is really kind of the center of what we want to talk about, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. And he, he supports Putin. He supports the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, he is very much in line and, and, and basically um, agreeing and supporting and contributing to the propaganda coming out of Kremlin, claiming that Russia is not the aggressor and that genocide is being perpetrated, perpetrated by Ukrainians against Russians in Donbass, Russian speakers in Donbass. The Patriarch Krill is a stout ally of, of, of President Putin. In 2012, he described his presidency as a miracle of God and, and sees him as a benefit to the church. Uh, while Putin has been the leader of Russia, Russia has passed laws that restrict the rights of rival religious groups, so minority religious groups like Protestants, uh, Jews, and other religious groups that are very much the minority. And they've retrieved religious artifacts that were sold off under communism and built thousands of churches like the, the Cathedral of the Armed Forces. And that has bolstered the power that church leaders have to influence large groups of the population. So when the church is in line with the government, the church is justifying the government's actions. And the government is very much inclined to support the church build it, help it build cathedrals and do other things that help support the church. In 2007, the church reunited with many Russian parishes outside the country, healing a rift of 80 years. This has bolstered its power as a tool of foreign policy amongst those Russians who live in foreign nations. And so this is, you know, I want to read the, the statistic here just to show you how much power that the church has and why Putin is using it to justify his actions. In 2015, 21% of Russians identified as Orthodox and 57% said following the faith was an important part of what it meant to be Russian. You can't use that percentage to uh, Americans. There's not 57 Americans that say following their Christian faith was an important part of what it meant to be American. And so being Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, is very much a part of what it means to be Russian for a normal Russian citizen. Many perceive the church's church to be a, of growing importance in their lives, although few attend. So it's important to their lives, it's important to their identity, but that doesn't mean they actually attend uh, church or mass or whatever. I don't, I'm not really sure what Orthodox call Sunday morning. This makes it a powerful tool of propaganda. Uh, a conduit through which to promote a single vision of Russian values at odds with Western liberal societies. And interesting enough, a a story that popped up in the, in the the news today, this week was um, one of the impacts on these minority religious groups uh, who disagree with the war in Ukraine. The chief rabbi of Moscow uh, Pinkas Goldschmidt presides over a spectacular revival of Jewish worship, education, and culture in Russia. However, and if you've ever seen the movie, um, um, goodness gracious, I've forgotten now on the spot. Um, it'll probably come to me later. Uh, the movie uh, about the Russian village in Russia. Uh, Fiddlers on the Roof, sorry, Fiddlers on the Roof. Uh, The story about a Jewish community, a Jewish village 
in Russia that at the end of the story, they actually have to leave. The Russians are, uh, are kicking them out of the nation. And so uh, Tevia and his family go to America, to New York, and others go to other parts of the world. And, and this has been an issue in Russia f- even before the Soviet Union, especially when the Soviet Union took over, religious groups were very much persecuted and then kicked out because of the, the hard uh, atheistic view that the Soviets believed and held and, and forced the people to believe as well. Um, so now even, you know, during the time of democracy in the nineties, you know, a lot of these minority religious groups had more freedom, more independence. You, at that time you saw, uh, Billy Graham going to Moscow, doing crusades and churches being started that weren't Orthodox churches. But then since Putin has been the president, he has, he has had a firm hand on, uh, kind of, kind of limiting religious groups, minority religious groups that aren't a part of the Orthodox church. And so one of the, the Swiss born rabbi, uh, who's the chief rabbi of Moscow, um, says that now currently there is fear in the hearts of the Jews of Russia. And actually he is leaving the country, um, due to the fact that they don't support Excuse me. They don't support the war in Ukraine. And because they don't support the war in Ukraine, they don't support the propaganda. They are being persecuted. And even even some Orthodox priests who are against the war are having to flee the country due to persecution because they don't support the propaganda. Now, Patriarch Krill, who's the head again of the Russian Orthodox Church, he is supporting the war. He's justifying all the, de- the decisions by Putin. And he has followed uh, Vladimir Putin in, in kind of criticizing um, um, certain aspects, even of the Soviet Union, and suggests that any future Russian empire must be unified under one czar, under one leader. So really Putin kind of uh, sees himself as a new era of the czars of Russia. Now, even one of the things you see as well that as a way to uh, cuddle, to, to be able to uh, receive favor from Putin, you even see um, Muslim, Russian Muslims who are now supporting the war. Uh, Telgot tells Tad Zuzin, Zuzin, a senior figure in Russian Islam whose rhetoric has always been fiercely anti-American last month back the Kremlin's surreal claim to be engaging in the denazification of Ukraine. He says that the government should keep pursuing the war aims so as to leave no fascists or parasites anywhere near us because in future there, there may not be enough pesticide. He and other state-backed Muslim leaders have presented the battle against Ukraine as a holy war, employing that soldiers who are slain on the battlefield will go to paradise. This matters because soldiers from Russia's ethnic minorities, including many Muslims, are playing an oversized role in the war campaign. So you see even Russian Muslims supporting the war, um, agreeing with Patriarch Krill on the support of this invasion, calling it a holy war, calling basically, and they don't use this terminology, but calling the Ukrainian soldiers um, um, uh, 
parasites, um, using language that uh, speaks to them as subhuman. And um, should and the war is basically pesticide against these parasites. This is a really frightening language that is that is being used here uh, by um, this Muslim leader in Russia against as a support Putin's view that this war is a holy war. This is a godly war. And basically we're like the crusaders going to do God's bidding in Ukraine, which then says that anyone against it is against God. It's against God's will. Against the will of the church. Next month, Patriarch Krill may meet Pope Francis on the sidelines of an interfaith gathering in Kazakhstan. Um, basically, Pope Francis has is not come out and rebuked Patriarch Quill for his support of Putin in the war. Uh, Pope Francis uh, has basically tried to keep channels open to be able to communicate to Russia's spiritual leaders. A position that's position that some Catholic and Orthodox uh, prelate in Ukraine and other post-Soviet countries as hopelessly naive. The Vatican's ideal scenario is for the spiritual masters of Western Christendom and Russian Orthodoxy to jointly press secular leaders to make peace. But I think what's happening here is, and I think this is probably a lot of people's um, kind of take on this issue, is that Patriarch Krill is supporting the war because he doesn't have much of an option. Uh, if there were to soften his line on Ukraine, he would probably not stay as the leader of the Russian Orthodoxy. And I think that's where we don't really know what Patriarch Krill's true views are, but he's supporting his leader. He's supporting Putin and he can remains the head of the Russian Orthodox church. And he remains in a position of power. And Francis thinks that he can continue to communicate with Patriarch Krill and maybe be able to persuade him to uh, join with Western leaders to make peace and to encourage Putin to uh, that path of peace. But he's a strong supporter of the war. He's calling it a holy war. And therefore, the war has to be finished. God's will has to be finished and, and accomplished. The church support of the invasion of Ukraine benefits the Kremlin in two important ways. First, the church emphasizes the historical links between Ukraine and Russia. This is really one of the major parts of this war. The Russian Orthodox Church started in Kiev. It's the capital. Kiev is the capital of Ukraine. It was the seat of, of the Orthodox when it arrived in, 10th, in the 10th century. Um, during the, the 10th century, the, the kingdom um, called Kievian Rush, within modern-day Belarus, Ukraine and Western, Europe, Western, Russia, Western Russia was a part of that kingdom. Um, and so Moscow kind of sees itself as the, as the overseer of the Orthodox Church and wants to then bring the whole church, including the, including the ones in Ukraine, under its wing. Because in 2019, uh, the, actually, the, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church separated itself from the Russian Orthodox Church. 
And we learn we know that Patriarch Krill has not accepted that autonomy, its autonomy, from the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, Patriarch Krill this month, he described the peoples of Russia and Ukraine as coming from one Kievian baptismal font and claims that they share a common historical fate. That argument helps to justify Russia's spurious claims that it is liberating its neighbor, its brother, its sister. And so it, it sees itself as it's freeing its brothers and sisters, the Ukrainian church from what they would call Nazis or wicked, wicked leaders. And since the, the kind of claiming this as a holy war, second patriarch Krill has long attacked the West for its perceived decadence, contrasting its sinfulness with conservative Russian values. This is very similar to some of the justification for Islamic terrorism. The West is decadent. It's full of sin and it's against Islamic values. And so in some ways we are cleaning the world of its sin. Patriarch Krill has painted the breakaway regions of Ukraine as victims of encroaching liberal influences and seen bizarrely to claim that war was happening in part because people in the Donbass do not want gay pride parades to be imposed upon them. In a letter responding to the World Council of Churches, which had called on him to uh, mediate for peace, has claimed his country was not the aggressor and that the tragic conflict had become a part of a geopolitical strategy aimed first and foremost at weakening Russia. The untempered support of Kremlin propaganda has divided the church. More than 280 Russian Orthodox priests from around the world has signed an open letter condemning the invasion. Many of Moscow's clerical supporters in Ukraine are now omitting Patriarch Kurch from their curl from their prayers. A parish in Amsterdam has resolved to quit the church. It intends to join the Istanbul-based Patriarch of Constantinople's Orthodox Oldest See. So you see division within the Orthodox Church, but Patriarch Krill, the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church, is is strongly supporting Putin and his actions and supporting the propaganda, being a part of the propaganda, and actually claiming this war to be a holy war, a, a war of God, and therefore they have to win this war for the for the purposes of God. Which remind it, it, this is such an interesting event, and what's and actually uh, the news has had a few different um, uh, stories on the Russian church and their involvement in the war, and right now they are part of the propaganda. They are part of of communicating to the Russian people how bad the Ukrainians are, and that they are the heroes. The Russians are the heroes to bring liberation. And that's how Putin has explained it as well, that we're liberators. We're coming to liberate Ukrainians from, from evil, wicked Nazis, as they've called them as well. Um, I was thinking of the word that I was able to find, but kind of co- combining with Islamic views, these are infidels. These are infidels that need to be cleansed from the Russian kingdom. And as I mentioned in episodes of the past, well, what Putin sees himself as is a, as a great czar, of Russia, like Peter the Great, coming to reunify the Russian nation, the Russian people. And he includes Ukraine in that group. And again, Patriarch Krill would, uh, would like to expand his power base as a leader of the entire Orthodox Church. Interesting enough, it makes it reminds me of a of a biblical story. In First Kings chapter twenty two, 
We see that this is during Ahab's kingdom in the kingdom of Israel and Jehoshaphat in Judah. This is after Solomon. This is after the division of the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom being Israel, the, the, the ten tribes. And then we have Judah in the south with the Levites and the priesthood. And, um, and there, was, there was false prophets. There were prophets of the northern kingdom. There were several of them, many of them. And so when they, uh, uh, Ahab had, had come uh, to Jehoshaphat and say, hey, we need to go regain a territory in the uh, kingdom of Syria, Ramoth, Gilead. Let's just go take this land that we, God has given us. Let's go take this land. And so they, associ- they asked the prophets, um, will they have victory? Is it God's will for them to go and take this land? And so the prophets said very favorable things. Uh, yes, you know, God desires for you to have this land. It's God's will for you to go up there and conquer this land, to take this land from the kingdom of Syria and um, reclaim it for God and the people of Israel. And so they, they talked to these priests. Uh, these, I'm sorry, these prophets. They, it says 400 men in, in verse, verse 6. And they said, you know, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead and shall I refrain? And they said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehovah being a wise king, unlike Ahab said, you know, is there not another prophet of the Lord in whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. And the prophet, he comes, the kings are sitting on their thrones and they ask him, what should we do? You know, they, they've, they're prepared for this battle. It says that they, um, they have, uh, they've made horns of iron to be used to destroy the Assyrians. They've, they have their, their battle plan. Um, they have their weapons, their armament, they're ready to go. And the prophets have prophesied, saying, go out to Ramoth Gilead in triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. So Micaiah, he comes and they ask him, like, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And Micaiah, Micaiah, who's answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So Micaiah, who said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord says, they have no master. Let each return to his, his home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Micaiah, who said, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on the left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? So all of this is being used so that Ramoth Gilead, at Ramoth Gilead, Ahab, the king, the wicked king, would die and fall. And so we see this kind of vision that Micaiah has, and he communicates this to the kings and says that they were, God was in the presence of these spirits. And God says, who will go and lie to Ahab that he will have victory in this, in this battle? but actually he will die. And the spirit said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. 
And the Lord said, you are entice, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of these, your prophets. The Lord declares disaster for you. So obviously they seize Micaiah and take him back to the governor of the city and Joahaz, the king's son. They said, put him in, in the prison, feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, here are all your peoples. Ends up happening is that Ahab dies in battle. Micaiah was a prophet and he spoke the truth. And the reason why I want to bring the, this, this story is because Putin has been enticed by a lying spirit. And Patriarch Krill, he can call himself the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church all he wants, but he's a false prophet. He is a, he is a man who does not speak the words of God by any means whatsoever. He is not a servant of God. He is not a leader in God's church. Instead, he's more of a leader for Satan. And what are the byproducts of this decision? Sanctions from the West. People in Russia are suffering. The crippling of the Russian economy. Most of the educated and skilled citizens are fleeing the country of Russia. Putin and his army have been embarrassed by a small but unbreakable force. Now, Russia has made gains, yes, but they have lost their prized battleship. They have lost uh, fighter jets. We've watched them on YouTube and on the news of, of, Rus- of, of Ukrainian soldiers with, with uh, rockets, missiles, and shooting down Russian planes and destroying Russian tanks. Putin and his government and his cronies have been isolated from the world. We have stories and videos and pictures of uh, some of of Putin's stooges getting uh, their yachts taken from them. So Putin has been enticed to do this war. He's trying to justify it. He's using the church to justify it. But instead, this is leading to his, hopefully his doom. Patriotic Krill is a false prophet. He's a hack. And I think if Pope Francis has any respect, he should rebuke him when he sees them in Kazakhstan for using the name of Christ to legitimize a war. That's what Francis should do. Because I think the, the story's right. I think Francis is quite naive to think that he's going to be able to have this slow play, this dance with Krill that they're going to be, he's going to be able to persuade him to speak reason to Putin. I think that's naive. I think the more appropriate thing to do is to find the closest television, uh, closest camera, speaking to a microphone and say, Patriarch Krill, you're a hack. You don't speak for Christians at all. And the best thing that you could do is to walk into Putin's office and tell him, that he's wrong. This is not a holy war. This is for his own ambition. This is for his own arrogance. And do with me as you will. And Jesus even said we shouldn't fear governmental authority, but we should speak God's word to that authority. And the true authority in our world is God, who can destroy both body and soul. In a lot of ways, Putin and Krill have launched a new crusade that should be judged by the church as an abomination. 
for what it is. It is. It's an abomination. To use Christ in the church as justification for murdering children, for murdering uh, women for dropping missiles on women hospitals and and striking uh, 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 trains that are trying to get people out of the war is an abomination. And you know, I know that it's not common for us um, to pray that God would judge the imprecatory prayers that we see, the imprecatory psalms that we see. There's actually uh, one example of these, that these are psalms that we typically reading. Psalm 69. This is a, a psalm of David. And he, he prays in verse 22 for their judgment. He says, let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it be a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no equity from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Paul, David's basically saying, I'm afflicted, I'm in pain. Lord, I pray that you would judge them for afflicting me, for persecuting me. And so this may not be popular. This may be controversial to say, but six months into this war, the amount of people that have died, the amount of of people that are suffering, and not just people in Ukraine, but a lot of people in the the developing world are struggling because they can't get wheat to make bread because a lot of the wheat and bread comes from Ukraine and Russia. There's a lot of people being impacted by the decisions of one man and his cronies and the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox church is supporting it and calling it a righteous act. That is an abomination. It is horrific. It is wicked. And I pray that God would judge them. I pray that he would stri- that God would strike them down. If he doesn't save and redeem them, that he would strike them down. And I would encourage you to pray the same prayer. You have a man who believes that he is a man of God, that he is a leader of God's church, of Christ's bride, and he's justifying horrific acts and saying they're the acts of God. He's associating the works of Satan as acts of God. And um, if that doesn't bring you sadness as a Christian or a part of the church, that there's someone, there's a group of people that are using Christ's name for their glory, for their profit, then you're basically failing and blessed are those who mourn. There are many people that are mourning. There are many people that need to be comforted. And I believe one of the ways that that's going to be brought on is that these individuals, Putin, Patriarch Krill, and others would be judged by God, that they would be struck down, and that that there'd be some beginning of peace in this particular region. So... Uh, This is what's going on in the news. This is the stuff that is happening around us. 
It's sad. It's time of mourning. But this is a time of praying the impeccable, uh, impeccatory psalms, praying these prayers that are difficult to understand. But um, what's happening in Russia is a tragedy. And what's happening amongst the Russian Orthodox Church is probably the maybe one of the worst parts of this whole story. So uh, this is uh, the news. And I want to continue to encourage you uh, to continue to read the news with the Bible in your hand. This is a pastor's new paper. Thanks for listening. We will hopefully be back next week um, and have more kind of commentary, uh, Christian commentary f- uh, from from the news, what's going on around us. So have a wonderful weekend. Have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. And we will see you next week. <laughs>